Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation to be had about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. You're listening to episode 51 of the Close Knit Podcast, and this week I spoke to Sarah Danu of Danu Organics. You've probably noticed this year that I focused a lot on clothing production and slow fashion in my interviews. I was thinking about this recently, and I don't know exactly why that is. It's just been a curiosity that I've had, and I followed it. It's led me to so many interesting conversations with people producing clothing, from designers to makers, and I've learned so much about the way that people produce clothing locally and all the steps involved in this. So all this kind of led me to Sarah, who runs Donu Organics, a clothing line from organic color-grown cottons. Sarah tells me about her memories from childhood of sewing buttons onto scrap fabric as she learned to sew and a beautiful quilt project she and her mom undertook as she prepared for her first year of college. Sarah made a bunch of bold career decisions that led her to woofing and an interest in the slow food movement, which ultimately led her to seeking out solutions in slow fashion to treat our bodies, the bodies of workers, and the planet with care and respect which led her to seeking out Fibershed in the Bay Area and ultimately connecting to scientist and farmer Sally Fox. Sarah walks me through her journey with production so far, how she's had to let go of some of the traditional advice around timelines and launching products. She tells me about her vision for her line, offering clothing for masculine folks and children, which is exciting if you've been around in the slow fashion scene for a minute, and some upcoming natural dyeing on her garments. Sarah is generously offering a discount code just for Close Knit Podcast listeners. Head to donuorganic.com and use the code CLOSENIT, all lowercase, one word, at checkout for 20% off. Listen on for our whole chat. Thanks for tuning in. It's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Sarah Danu. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, thank you for being here. You're like in an Airbnb somewhere? In Vermont, yes. my Vermont? Yeah, my partner had a bike race out here, um, so oh, cool. that was this morning, and um, this afternoon is podcast. <laughs> Love it. How did they do? Great. Um, yeah, we don't have the times in or anything, and he's definitely more into it for fun, so it was great. <laughs> That's really cool. That's nice that you were there. Yeah, Vermont's beautiful this time of year, so I'm glad to get to see it. It's so green up here. I miss that in California, so fun to soak that in. Yeah, we don't get a lot of that. Do you? Um, are you normally in California? I am nomadic. Um, I've spent the majority of the last four years in California, um, but even those years were rather nomadic. Um, my mm. sailboat is my main home, and that has been the case for about four years now. And um, we sailed down to Mexico and back up to San Diego in the fall. So that was a really big change. And then as soon as my fabric arrived, I quit that, went back to California and started focusing on that full time. And that's been the past two months. And so okay. now I'm looking for a land base because Donu Organic has become my main focus and I just need a little bit more space and steadiness. So the sailing is uh-huh. on pause. It's not over, but... 
Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> we definitely have to come obviously we'll have to come back to the sailing and how it led you to where you are now. But um I I like to start off by asking about sort of your earliest memory of dealing with fiber or textiles. Um doesn't have to be when you were a child, but a lot of people that I speak to have some either visceral memory of engaging with a textile or like some learning memory that they had with a parent or a teacher or something. Can you tell me what that was for you? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Indiana for the first eight years and sewing was something that I learned growing up just because my mom learned it growing up. And so she taught me and, um, I had a little square, probably like eight inches by eight inches, probably smaller because that's my adult mind, um, that I was learning to sew buttons onto. And so I must've sewed a hundred buttons onto this one tiny square. It was covered. Like you couldn't fit another button onto it. Um, and I remember that project being like in conjunction with my mom making me this, I think it was a ladybug and sunflower vest, like super bright and crazy. Um, and so So she hand sewed some of our clothes, but definitely not all of them. And so that was my first memory. And, um, I continued to learn to sew growing up, but, um, I wouldn't really say that's like what led me to do Danu Organic, but it definitely provided me with a lot of background knowledge that, um, yeah. made me feel at least confident, um, trying out to design clothes for production, but it's really quite different. Yeah. So do you remember what kind of projects, like you started out with this like button, <laughs> that's really cute by the way, like <laughs> this image of like a tiny you just like sewing hella buttons onto a little piece of fabric is very cute. <laughs> um, do you remember, because you said you kind of like kept sewing, do you remember like, were there projects along there that you remember being like really formative or kind of pivotal for you? Yeah, I mean, a lot, really. Um, I would do these week-long summer camps where I would go sew um, at sewing shops in Virginia more so. We moved at that point, and that's where I spent eight through adulthood. And I guess the biggest one that comes to mind is when I went to college, my mom and I sewed a quilt together for my dorm room. Um, My roommate wanted pink everything and I hated pink I never liked pink but I was like trying to be amiable and nice and so I finally found on this road trip through Pennsylvania um, a beautiful pink um, pretty light not aggressive lots of greens and yellows in there too floral um, fabric that was it was a collection like probably 15 different fabrics that we um, bought a couple yards of each and patchwork together over the summer before I went to college and I took that with me um So that was a pretty huge project. But leading up to that, there was many, many smaller projects. Um, We didn't quite finish the quilt before I went, and she had to finish it by herself and ship it um, to school for me a couple weeks into it. (laughs) That's such a, like, sweet mother gesture. Yeah. Yeah, and then when my brothers, I'm the oldest of three, I went to school. Um, That just kind of got skipped over, but... um, a couple like months into college, one of them was like, why didn't we do a quilt? (laughs) That's really sweet. That's a really sweet gesture. And it's also really sweet of you uh, to, I I think speaks about you to have been that aware as like a 17 year old or whatever, to be like, I'm going to like make this gesture (laughs) towards my roommate. (laughs) That's really nice. (laughs) It was pretty pink. (laughs) We got along great. It actually worked. But um, where is that quilt now? I, I, you know, I brought it to California with me and um, had it on my sailboat for a while, but 
it was just too precious. I ended up putting it away for now um, yeah. because the sailboat is so small that the bed will also be where you put a power tool and or something greasy, right. <laughs> and it just it, I couldn't handle that. Um, so yeah. I packed it away for now, but it'll come out as soon as my bed is not also my workstation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's reasonable. So can you kind of walk me through um, going from, did you say Virginia? Mm-hmm. No, I'm forgetting where. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to California and like kind of this iteration into the sailboat. And then we can talk about where that's, how that's led you to where you are now. Okay, Yeah. Um, (laughs) I know it's a big open-ended long one, but that's, I'm very here for that. (laughs) Well, I went to school in North Carolina for a year out of high school, college, um, Elon university and, um, was pretty miserable throughout the whole thing and eventually dropped out to just kind of reconsider what I wanted to do with my life. Um, Mm. at the time, I think I was telling everyone I was going to be a doctor. I was pre-med double bio major, um, was going fine. I just really actually didn't want to be a doctor and um, think I might have said that to kind of keep everyone quiet in high school. Like, oh, she's going to be fine. Leave her alone and right. move on to the next. So, um, But that's not what I wanted to do. So I, I dropped out and um, traveled abroad. I, I went to Spain and started wolfing worldwide opportunities in organic farming. Um, and I did that mm-hmm. for about six months. A lot of it with my best friend who took six months off um, between transferring colleges as well. And that was really formative for me. Um, I grew up gardening and rather connected to nature, but without a whole understanding of um, how the modern industrial system is having such an impact on everything from the food we eat to the fibers we wear. So I um, Mm -hmm. learned a lot about food, which was really my intro into learning about healthy fiber and healthy everything else Mm -hmm. in my life, um, kind of the gateway. So that was pretty formative for me. And I came back... um, And I didn't really want to go back to college. That never felt right for me. Um, I wanted to work. I'm an entrepreneur. I I have three businesses. That's what I love and always has been. So that path was really clear for me since childhood. And I just didn't have a good business plan. So I was like, well, school's probably a good fallback. So I applied to some Virginia schools and um, went to William & Mary where I um, tried to get out as quickly as possible. Honestly, I spent more time <laughs> organizing my classes so that I could graduate early than I spent actually studying for my classes. Um, <laughs> and I, I spent two years there, graduated, and um, I was already working full time at an organic online grocery store. Um, and they offered me a position just before I graduated, managing the operations in Richmond, Virginia. Not the operations, actually, the sales and marketing, um, but the team there. So I accepted that before I graduated and um, immediately started working there. And I worked there for about two years, which was quite the crash course in entrepreneurship, Um, very self-directed. And um, that ended, I was in Washington, D.C., working for that there. And then I I took off traveling again, this time to Asia and back to Europe. And then then I landed in California. Um, I did more wolfing in those trips as well. Just it's a good transition reset period when I'm analyzing that's just kind of what I tend to do is to go traveling um and um took a job in California that I didn't really like but um paid for me to move out to California and um paid well so that I was able to save up enough money to that all has all been funneled into my current businesses so I was there about six months and immediately moved on to a sailboat. Um, I had friends from college who lived on the sailboat. And um, it's actually really how I know you because 
mutual friend is also um, in the sailing community in the Bay Area. Um, and after I quit that job, I started starting businesses uh, for the first time. And I started a skincare line that I stuck with for about a year, but ultimately dropped. I started a bank at one point. Um, <laughs> I, I quit um, when it got to be very, very real. Um, but I, I just realized what that would do to my life and lifestyle, and I didn't want that. But um, I, yeah, so I started a bunch of businesses, and um, all of those have been very educational uh, and led me to the point where I am now, which is going very well in learning experiences. So um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting the way that you kind of have this um leap between the the food and the kind of understanding of how food interacts with our bodies and with the earth, but also kind of how then textiles interact with our skin, the biggest organ on our bodies. Um can you kind of walk me through when it was that you made this leap between your kind of farming background and the textile side of things? Yeah, um well, I think f I started with food just because it has a very immediate impact on how you feel. So I found when I eat cleaner, I feel better. But mm. I want to just analyze everything and, um, you know, everything I bring into my life has an impact on it. And also it's about voting with your dollar. So I, it's like, what do I want to see in the world? I want to see and know that the clothes I'm buying, those farmers are not getting sick because they are using tons of pesticides and fertilizers. So I just, I have an awareness of the whole supply chain from that background. And um, I can't really live with the fact that if I'm buying cheap plastic clothes, the environmental and social impacts of that are upsetting for me as a consumer. And honestly, I consider it my responsibility to make good decisions um, because I have the privilege to do so. But at the same time, I got incredibly serious about it because I had some autoimmune issues that were rather mysterious, but were all manifesting on my skin. And so I just got very, very, very serious about only the purest organic fibers. Um, and right. I can't tell if it made a difference, frankly, because there's all so many things playing into um, autoimmune issues like I was having. But um, I just decided that that was one thing that I was not going to let be a possible uh, issue for my health and um, got really pure on that. And even then I was buying like organic underwear and bras, but um, I didn't think about the dye at the time. This was several years ago and I knew about natural dyeing. Like I thought it was amazing, but I thought I could also buy organic cotton underwear that were bright red, but um, then I didn't wash them and I went on a jog right away and my skin turned red and I was like, this probably isn't good even after the first wash. Um, and so I became aware of that. And I'm still not perfect, but um, I have a lot of things that I bought before I had the knowledge I have now that I still own. That's an interesting like conundrum. But um, yeah, so that that's kind of that that journey for me. Right. So when did Danu actually start? Like, when was its sort of first iteration? Because it seems really recent, at least from like a social media perspective, it seems like a recent thing. But I'm sure that there's so much more that went on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, that time after I left Washington, D.C. in the organic food company, I was traveling and I was at my friend's place in Prague. And uh, I just remember sitting at, at his kitchen table writing business plans um, for a clothing company. At the time, I really wanted to do... Um, a natural fiber athletic wear because I'm very active oh, and um, yeah. 
can't find things that are like comfortable enough to move in. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be branded for athletic wear, but um, I couldn't find that. So I was trying to do that. And looking back, the way I was trying to go about that, I, I just, I didn't have the knowledge about how clothing production worked. Um, I was just Googling and with what I've done now, I, I made local connections and one connection leads to the next. And I, I fr- frankly think I've gotten lucky a couple of times in a row. Um, so I, that was like three or four years ago. And I was actually still pretty much at that state when I was attending fiber shed events in the Bay area. And I think it was my second fiber shed event that week. And, um, I, I mean, I was there just kind of to be a part of the community, um, but it happened to be Sally Fox talking for an hour about her work, the cotton she's growing, and um, it was it was Slow Fashion Week, and I just met her and was completely blown away. And I'd already had I'd already been making sample garments, um, so I tossed them all out and not literally, but, um, in my mind and, um, started again with Sally's fabric because when I found that it just changed everything. It was such a special plant to me and I fall in love pretty quickly with plants, (laughs) all plants. And, um, that goes back to the farming again. But, um, by the, at the end of the talk, all the designers that were there met with Sally individually and I stayed for that. And, um, she was taking pre-orders. So I committed to buy $10,000 of her fabric. And um, at the time we thought it would be in, this is a year and a half ago at this point. And at the time we thought it would arrive in about two or three months, I think. I could be a little off on that, but um, it took about a year, I think 11 months to arrive. And so I wasn't even able to make samples. I had to redo all my samples and adjust the designs because um, the sample fabric she had to give me was 20 years old, made of 100% color organic cotton, um, which just shrinks differently, acts differently, stretches differently. So um, two months and two weeks ago, that's I started making new samples. Um, very recent. With, Whoa, with, with, yeah, with, that's, yeah. So, yeah, did I mean, we're growing these things that we use as humans. And uh, if you think back, I don't know, 200 years ago, People were growing the cotton that they were spinning right alongside the food they were eating. So it only makes sense. She has a farm um, and she's she's diversified a little bit, I think, largely because of the struggles she's had in getting this cotton out in the world. I don't know that for sure, but it just makes sense to me. It's like, oh, well, I might as well grow some of this nice wheat that I like, too. But she's really passionate about her sheep, um, her wool for color, and, and she's got her hand in a lot of good things. So. Definitely. Yeah. And the wool is just, it's very special. Yeah. And just the thing that I'm really interested in here is it, like, it just seems so terrifying um, and amazing to go to this event and just commit to $10,000 worth of fabric. Yeah. That was a lot of my savings. I had probably half um, at the time, and now I'm I'm actually below that by far um, because the second production one's been very expensive. But um, I have a high risk tolerance, and I work to to heighten my risk tolerance. I think it's healthy. Um, but somebody once told me that I handle my business like an investor in myself, yeah. and um, you know when I see a good idea that I really believe in. I have a strong intuition. I really believe in it. Mm. It's working out great. Um, I completely sold out of everything I made the first week I opened Donu mm. Organic. Um, so 
no regrets and I didn't have to, um, Sally actually, it didn't really hold me to that because things got so drawn out. Um, I have now bought more than that in cotton from her, but for my first order, she let me just pick up one roll of each. She wasn't like $10,000 check, please. Just because Mm. it got so drawn out. And at one point we didn't even know if the fabric would be made. Um, but I had to do that guess for her so that she, I, I, that was the reason I said that was because below, below, much below that, um, combining the other couple of designers that were there, she couldn't produce the fabric at all because, um, the mill run had a minimum requirement. I would have loved to say 2000, but without saying 10,000, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and so that's why that happened. And it was scary. Um, especially when it got to be that we didn't know if it was ever going to get made. Um, so luckily I had two other businesses to keep me pretty busy with and the sailing. And I was just like, well, if the fabric comes, when the fabric comes, I'm here for it. So, um, that was really the only way that that could have worked out. It was scary. So what did that look like then once the fabric got there? Can you walk me through that whole that whole process? Yeah. What do you mean exactly? Like- so because like you had already kind of made samples, but was was there anything really that you could do with those? Could you photograph them? Could you start like because you knew it was all going to be different once you actually had the, the true the true fabric. So what, what did that process from there kind of look like? Yeah, I, I did photograph the samples. Um, and now I've put a there's a blog post with the it's a darker colored fabric because it's 100 mm. percent color instead of the French cherry is about 50% color that I'm actually using. Um, Mm. And so I put a little disclaimer there that those are the samples not in production so people aren't confused. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's my favorite piece. It's mine. I wear it all the time. It's been worn for a year and a half now and um, it's broken in and mine. So I I love it. But um, yeah, when I heard that the fabric arrived, I got a text message. I was in Mexico I hopped on a plane immediately. Like we had a, we had somebody practically wolfing with us and um, English was their second language. They were only picking up on like parts of what we were saying, not organic farming, obviously, but sailing being the more like help X. And um, he didn't pick up on everything that we were talking about me and me and my husband. And um, he's like, Oh, you're leaving now. And I was already, already with my bags outside getting on the plane. So I, I dropped everything and, and ran immediately because I had hope in hope that this would all happen how it did happen. I'd already um, paid for a booth at Spirit Weavers Gathering, which is this lovely women's retreat up in Oregon. And that was happening in about, I can't remember, three or four weeks. And so I knew I had to hustle if I wanted to have my first batch of clothes made in time for it. And they were made the day before. So it, it worked out just barely and it worked out perfectly exactly how it should have worked out. But um, yeah, I flew up there and um, it was pretty easy since we already had the patterns um, to just make new samples and uh, of with the new garments. And I didn't have to make many changes. Um because it is a very similar fabric, but I did have to make a couple about shrinkage because it shrunk quite differently. Um, and then um, I have a great team in the Bay Area. I have a, I have a pattern maker and that I work with who is excellent. And I work with a woman-owned factory in the Bay Area that's been there for over 30 years. Um, mm. It's a nice place to be. Uh, it's Everyone's above board, paid fairly and, and happy. Um, when I walk in wearing the clothes, they're all, they all react. They're all very happy to see me and happy to see the work that they're doing. And um, so, yeah, without all of that, which I really found by um, friends who are other designers in the Bay Area, actually 
Jess of Shop Moo Moo, who's been on here. Oh, um, I wondered that actually, because yeah. it sounded like a similar, it's like, this sounds like the factory that Jess maybe works She with. connected me um, with all oh, of those. Yeah, I met her at an oh. event with my skincare line in Berkeley years before, oh. and we connected on the internet, and I'd watched what she was doing with Shop Moo Moo, and we got we got tea um, and talked about it. And she was like, yeah, well, without this other friend who helped me through all of this process, I couldn't do it. And it's just not something you can Google um, any of it. Mm -hmm. You have to, like with my elastic, I put on my um, ingredients page that I'm working with a 90% organic cotton, 10% plastic elastic. And I wanted natural rubber. I wanted it so bad from the start. um, So I'd be plastic free, but I couldn't find it. I can't Google and get a result. Um, and I, I put it online and a bunch of home sewers responded. They read my website. Oh my gosh. I've got great samples now from Germany that I'm going to start using. Um, and it's just, that's how I'm finding the the fabric industry to be is, is very not 2019. Um, yeah. You need to talk to people, which is nice once you start, but very hard if you don't have connections to start. Totally. And that's been a theme amongst podcast guests that I've had, whether they're trying to produce something um, sort of locally or like wovens or knitted, um, like a knitted fabrication, like a, uh, like a, like a garment, I mean to say, like a sweater, Um, which is that it's really hard to find the people who are doing these things. And it's really hard to find these um, mills and things. And it's not that they don't exist. They absolutely do. It's just that they don't have um, a presence in the way that we're used to seeing things having a presence in the world, Uh, like a social media thing. And these businesses have been set up for so long and they've existed for, and they don't have anything, um, anyone sort of doing their social media or anything. So it's really kind of difficult to find them. But then once you get tapped in, it's sort of this beautiful realization that there are so many people doing so many interesting things but it can be really hard to find at first yeah the the elastic i found originally that is organic cotton from japan mandy cordell told me about that when she was in california we met up and um and like they have a they i guess it might be closing just closed the brooklyn fashion accelerator like people are trying to solve that problem um I found a German website that is doing that in Germany that's pretty good. Um, but it's definitely a problem that needs solved for um, sustainable fashion, some sort of a, a hub that shares knowledge because, I mean, competition will only take you so far. I don't think competition is the way forward in business, in the conscious business that we're all getting into. We need to band together and share knowledge and share information if we're going to quit the pollution and destruction of the worlds with with our clothes and food and everything. So, Totally. And that's such a fair point about like, I think that that's kind of why a lot of this information doesn't get shared is that like it's people have worked so hard to build up these contacts. And there's this worry that if um, you send too many other clients to them whether it's a mill or a factory or something that they're just going to get their own work to be Mm -hmm. deprioritized so it's really scary to give that information away Mm -hmm. but then it's like kind of this double-edged sword because if a a mill has a minimum of a ten thousand dollar order if we were able to get more people to know about it and go in on it together it would be a lot less scary and there would be not such a big barrier to entry but there really does seem to be a little bit of um like secrecy in this world there's a lot there's a lot of secrecy a lot of secrecy yeah i wondered that like have you encountered that yeah and i have fears around it as well i understand it um especially 
like what I'm doing with the what is I mean my designs are great I've had zero returns um but what's so special about them is the cotton so if Sally starts selling that to 80 other designers using the cotton what I'm doing is not so special anymore so I I have some fears around that and Sally has had to work really hard actually to like protect the loyalty of some of her customers and still is um I haven't experienced that personally but it's a tough situation. And so I actually had a great conversation with Mandy about that. Um, oh, good. And what I got to is what success looks like for this business is getting this fabric out into the world enough that it's actually having an impact on the amount of clothing. Because this is a, the brown that my clothes are, it is a color that people dye clothes. So the goal is to replace that color brown with dye with this natural color. So that's what success looks like to me. Mm. And so that means sharing, sharing the fabric. Um, so right now there's a couple other designers using it. Um, frankly, a couple feel like a little competitive and a couple feel great. Like we're both like cheering each other on. And a couple I don't even know. There's people in Japan and, and I think Europe using it. North Face used it. L.L. Bean used it. Like it's already it's already been big, but it hasn't been sustainable. So um, I'm just trying to take a long-term approach to, to that and learn from the other people who have come before me. Um, so that's, that's my two cents on that, but, um, totally. And I think that that's such a refreshing perspective to have on this, that, that your, your goal or your metric for success is actually so much bigger than your individual project. It's just, it's a much bigger scope. Mm-hmm. And that you've actually sort of defined your own success um, within the context of this this project mm-hmm. that's going to take so many more people and so many more collaborations and going to be so much bigger than just your own business or just the amount of sales that it does. I think that's actually like a really special approach to take. It's really something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's lots of other ways that I can keep diversifying. Like I would love and I have my eyes open for other farms that are producing fiber. Right. I know of several. I can't take them on right now in, in month two and a half of business. Um, but that's what I would love to do. I'd love to continue to support right. and seek out these farmers who are growing raw fiber and work with them to get whatever they're doing because there's not a lot of them and um, they need a path to be able to stay financially viable with their hard mm-hmm. work. And I'm getting into natural dye. I'll be releasing some probably in the fall. Yeah. Um, cool. And yeah, we should probably just back up and since people can't see, just like mention this cotton um, that we're talking about. Yes, yeah, please, um, please. It's, it's a, it grows in color. There's uh, cotton can grow white, brown, or this bluish green color. Um, and there's also kind of a salmon pinky one. Um, but the brown is what Sally Fox, the scientist, cotton breeder, farmer who I buy it from, recommended I start with. She said it's the most popular, highest yield. Um, and she had a lot of it in storage that she was working with. So that's what we're starting with. Um, most people think cotton only grows white, but, um, these, these varieties have been around for thousands and thousands of years and were actually like considered to be, um, what they were, they were what the royalty sought out before dying when color Mm. was really rare in clothing, um, thousands of years ago across continents. It happened in Japan. It happened in South America. Um, and so that's that's what we're working with. It's brown cotton, but that 
is a little too simple. Um, if you see it, you know, it's, I think that there's, um, another customer of Sally's buys it, um, to make hospital blankets out of in Taiwan for this, um, cancer, I think rehabilitation hospital. It's more of a naturopathic one. I obviously with its care towards bedding, I don't know the details. I'm going to have to like visit or something, I think to get the details, but that's a rough summary. That's probably slightly inaccurate. Um, and, and they came by Sally's farm to feel the energy of this cotton. Ugh. And um, we're wearing it as clothes. And I think that's why, because um, people, I get reactions from people that are just like really kind of crazy considering that it's like, it's a brown cotton sweatshirt, but everyone can just feel that it's really something more than that. Um, even if they're not like an energy reader, they can just, they're just like, this is something special. Um, that's my two cents on it. That's what we're talking about. No, totally. Thank you for backing that up and like actually kind of giving context for what clothes you're actually making. And um, even further than that, like even who Sally Fox is, like I think I'm probably making some kind of false assumption here that like everyone who is listening to this already knows who she is. They might. It's a close-knit community. (laughs) Um, Because if you're following me, you probably already follow Sally Fox. But no, it's really important to kind of give that background. Uh Uh-huh. Sally's done a lot. She's she's gotten herself spread pretty far. I have a podcast too called Contrapreneur, and I was interviewing an herbalist, Scott Lindy of Sun Potion, and we started talking about healthy fiber because he sells some hemp products in the podcast, and um, I started talking about what I was trying to do with Sally's cotton, and I didn't mention her name, but he's like Sally Fox, and we're in Santa Barbara, and then I found her socks in San Diego, and. Um, there's been a couple other like super weird, totally non-fiber people that have heard of her. So, um, she's 30, 30 years of getting the word out. Um, and so she's pretty well known at this point. Yeah. Yeah. She's really been at it for a long time and really hats off to her for being so dedicated to it for such, such a long time and hats off to her for kind of keeping that dedication going. Cause I, you know, I have this sort of pipe dream of keeping the podcast alive and I'm like 70 and interviewing people but um, actually doing the work of getting a podcast running or doing anything for that period of time is is really truly a labor of love and um, she's just been so dedicated to it for such a long time and to see someone work on something for literal decades is just so so inspiring mm-hmm. yeah I asked her about that and she just said the plant chose me um, and I was having a lot of like doubts honestly like I can think I made it sound like I had a really strong sewing background but it wasn't like I was sewing every day and Mm. um, knew how to make a pattern or knew how to do production and so I had a lot of doubts I was like why is this me doing this at the beginning and um, now it all makes sense I I see why I'm doing this but Sally was like maybe the plant chose you it chose me I don't know why I'm doing this (laughs) yeah so it sort of looks like you started with um, like a, a pullover and a pair of pants. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how it was that you got started with the pattern making of those and how it was that you kind of decided to start with those as garments. Yeah, I mean, I had to start with the French cherry. Right now I have two jerseys, a rib and a French cherry. But the only thing I was able to get samples of um, a year in advance was the French cherry so just because just jerseys and ribs are so different, um, jersey to rib to jersey to rib, I had to start with the French terry. And so you're pretty limited when you're working with French terry. I mean, I did a pretty like 
designy um, piece set with them, if I say so myself, rather than just like a basic um, sweatshirt. But um, there's just not a whole lot of options when you're working with French Terry. Um, so I made a sweatshirt and a pair of sweatpants, as you do. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, in terms of the design, um, I just like, um, I guess I was at the gym and my trainer said, your style is ready for anything at any time. And I think I was wearing like pearl earrings. I can't really remember. Um but right now the crop top is a sample that I'm wearing. Um, I had designed it for moving in and um, still working on my dreams of having a, a natural fiber athletic line more subtly. But um, so I just needed clothes that could let me do anything at any time. And I just this week wore the whole set on a camping trip. And I have worn them to fancy, fancy parties with a pair of heels and dress them up. Like they have the ability to look really nice. Like it's funny, my customers, one person bought them for, she just got her real estate license. And she's like, I think this is the, the pullover, the sweatshirt that will enable me to, to look the part of my new realtor job. Yeah, totally. Um, and other people are like, this looks really comfortable. I think I'd like to sleep in it. <laughs> and so um, I wanted something that could do everything. And some people have more specific ideas about how they're going to use the pieces. But um, I've just always had an eye for beauty and design. And um, really things come to me quickly when I, am, when I turn my mind off, when I allow myself to relax enough mm -hmm. for new ideas to come through, they come very suddenly. So if I'm just like working all day, I can't sit down and try to design. I have to, like, I, I will do that. I'm not, I probably should quit because I see it doesn't work. But um, it's when I'm on that camping trip or traveling or um, just laying in bed driving that I suddenly a design will come to me and I'll, I'll try it out. And some of them don't work um, when you translate them into fabric. But um, that, I can't, you know, the pants, um, I just wanted them to be flowy and um, look look really classy while also stealing, feeling totally comfortable. Yeah, um, yeah. The pullover is a little more interesting. I had a knit sweater that I got from a fast fashion company while I was over there in Spain wolfing before I even knew about slow fashion and I was just learning about slow food. Um, and I changed a ton about it. It was three quarter length. It had a little gap in it. It had um, a weird neckline. I changed that. Um, I changed a lot, but um, it was loosely styled on like the body fit of that piece. Um, and so that piece to me also just represents like how far, how fast people can come. Cause that, that was probably five years ago. Um, when I was fast fashion shopping, that was my, I had three outfits on that trip. And, um, one of our hosts was taking us to fancier events and my events were, my clothes were for working and they were not, they were, had paint and dirt and mud mm -hmm. on them and everything at that point. And my friend and I were like, well, we can't wear this to these events they're taking us to. And, um, we went shopping and I got that pullover and um totally different I mean it was a knit to start with um but it was based on that and it kind of represents how far people can come to me that's really nice yeah 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 and so you so you had those first couple that you were making and then you also are making like underwear now and other things coming as well can you walk me through those yeah I'm making underwear that was really important to me just because mm. um 
that part of our skin is more sensitive. It is for me. And I really wanted healthy fiber down there for myself and it available for everybody. So um, I have a low rise. I started off with that because I took a poll on Instagram. People voted for the low rise. And I just released a high rise last week. Um, It's from my rib knit. And um, I must have done 15 samples before I got that right. It was very hard. The high rise is easier because mm. it was my second. But um, And the rib knit's great for underwear because it has a lot of natural stretch to it. Um, and it's 100% organic cotton. So um, that's an wow. issue that you're dealing with is how much stretch you can get in the underwear. So it fits lots of bodies. And um, yeah, those are, those are great. Um, and I'm working on men's underwear coming out soon. Um, as soon as my thread arrives, we'll make that. And um, also some of, I'm just, I have this beautiful jersey. Um, right now I've only released baby clothes and, and a men's tee out of it. But I have a lot of like crop tops coming out and maybe a dress for women. And frankly, um, being two months and two weeks into business, I have tried to announce the production schedule and plan the production schedule. It never goes as I expect it to. And then I end up Mm. feeling guilty that I'm not meeting the deadline that I shared with my customers. And so I'm just kind of like when something's ready, putting it up, which isn't ideal. They they say you should really focus on the launch and um, communicate in advance. But um, that's just not, I think that I'm moving a little too fast right now. And when I have something that's ready, I just want to make it available. Um, so things are just kind of popping up when they're done at this point, which yeah. isn't ideal. I see like what Elizabeth Suzanne does where she's like in two months, we're taking down these garments and this is what's coming up. And I do try to be really clear if, if I made like a fit change or any mm-hmm. change at all. Um, I do be, I'm, I'm really clear about sharing that, but in terms of what's coming out when, stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that that's, I mean, it's honest. And I think that it's an an interesting part of this, um, this exercise of building this business and, and also of in general, changing the ways that we think as consumers about what it means to get a product and how long it takes to make a product and what, what our expectations are around that. Like, I think, it, it makes sense to me that the conventional wisdom around like you should be really talking about the launch and you should be promoting and all of these things. But I I also feel like something that we're kind of trying to do with like slow fashion at large is this sort of this antithesis to that of like, you shouldn't feel trigger happy at, and buy this garment unless you feel like you really need it or, mm-hmm. you know, or kind of like have thought more about it or taken time with it. And maybe that, that announcement of like, oh, that's a garment I think I might want in my life. And then actually getting time to like really think about it before it actually comes out and then going ahead and purchasing it once it's there or kind of, kind of getting the chance to wait and sit with whether it is actually something you would need in your life or would improve your life in some way. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's a little bit like, um, it might be a little high horsey of me or something to think about it in that way. But I actually think that there might be something really, really important or useful in that as an exercise for a consumer. Yeah, totally. And I think people do that sort of naturally, especially because my garments aren't $9.99. They just are considerate about the purchase. Um, But yeah, that's what I'm doing really just because I have to do it right now. Um, I was moving so fast that, um, and it's just me. So if there's, you know, if you have a team of even one person, um, it's a little easier to stay organized and like make sure that 
you've ordered your thread six months in advance for the year oh. ahead. But um, yeah, we I tried to order more thread and she said, wow, that's a big order. We'll have to make more thread. Um, and right. so that's how small the organic clothing industry is still. And so I just have to be patient for that because the idea is to put the money there so that she is able to keep more thread in stock and right now that's not the case. And I'm experiencing similar things like that in my own business. Right. So it's just being understanding and eventually a rising tide floats all, all boats. So um, yeah. yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, what is something that you're excited about coming up? I know there's not a lot of certainty around timelines or anything, but just something that you're feeling excited about. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really excited that I'm doing men's baby and kids clothes too, because yeah. um, most, I mean, I emailed my favorite clothing companies years ago and was like, I'm buying your clothes. I love them. Are there any brands doing men's clothes that I could buy for my partner? Um, and I, I totally did buy him some Elizabeth Suzanne Clyde pants and they just, the fit wasn't right. Um, mm. But he would have rocked them, but it just, the fit wasn't, wasn't good. So um, we had to exchange them, but just a lot of people aren't doing it. And I think um, that, there's a market for it. Um, some people are. I'm not very aware if they are. I'm sure they are. I don't want to leave them out. But um, I launched my men's collection at the Berkeley um, Bouquet Market a couple weeks ago, and um, oh, yeah. it went great. And then also, like when I had only only the the feminine line, as I'm calling it, um, people were like, "Will you be doing men's?" and um, so I was, I'm just really excited to offer that for um, a whole demographic that I think is largely overlooked kids, babies as well, um, mm -hmm. because it's really, I mean, if you're not buying sustainable fashion, you're buying unsustainable fashion. And so um, hopefully giving people who have an interest in things like that um, an opportunity, because I just don't even see enough opportunities for um, men, kid, baby clothing that's slow fashion, um, though it is totally out there just half as much, a quarter as much as, as women are served. So, um, yeah. yeah. And also natural dye. Um, my, oh yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> I mean, my matter samples are fabulous. Oh, <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. Even just the pictures of them looked phenomenal. My selfies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah the, I got the samples back. I'm working with, um, a natural dye team that can do this at production scale because that's really the only way um but it's a small group of people and they'll do five garments for me um it's in the community of of slow fashion and um yeah the the, the brown cotton is has a higher tanning content than uh white cotton so it takes to natural dye quite easily and strongly and you don't need as much of a mordant or necessarily any mordant perhaps um though we did have to use some mordant for that just because of how their system works really I think but um yeah that's really exciting to me um I also tried yellow it didn't work I get blue back next week hopefully um oh. so everything was it indigo indigo mm -hmm. indigo wow, on the yeah. on the lighter jersey um mm. but I'm very excited about that just because it's another color and it's really beautiful and still natural and it's still, it took me a while of having this cotton in abundance around me before I could bear to stick it in a dye pot because mm. it's just so beautiful in and of itself. And the whole point is the color, but I still feel yeah. like I'm utilizing its special qualities because it does have that high tannin content and can yeah. make slightly different shades than dipping a white cotton in um, natural dye wood. So 
I'm excited yeah. about all of that. <laughs> yeah, me too. That is that's very exciting because I do think there is something super special about the cotton, but having having access to a few other colors might be this really interesting thing that could round out mm-hmm. the offering or kind of, you know, give I feel like people like to have a little bit of choice, so it could be really nice to totally. have that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um it looks I feel like you almost see it's different on the internet versus in real life. Um how in any clothes appear, but um, mm. all my online photos are are one color right now, and I just think things will really start to pop when you because underlying that red shade is the shade yeah. of this light brown, so they go together really gorgeously, and um, I'm just excited about that potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really exciting. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with me and. There's a whole bunch that you're doing and there's a lot coming up and I know that it must be a lot and I appreciate you taking out some time to chat. Oh, thank you for having me. It was fun to chat with you. 